If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. If you don't, grab a hymn book. <laughs> I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to see all of you. Austin, stand up. Look how tall this young man's got. There, there. All right, brother. It's good to see you. Great to see you. Grandma, good to see you again. It's good to see you. Brother Austin, uh, senior this year, right? Yeah. It's hard to believe all of them are seniors, isn't it? Not his, but he fits right into that not head group that we've got. So he's perfect. Soccer's kicking up, so big soccer player and looking forward to he had a real bad injury last year, stomach abdominal thing, and uh, overcome that. And looking good. All right. That's because his mother keeps him in line. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Thank you all for coming out on a cold and we're we supposed to have, what, 39 degrees today? Yeah, whatever. They can't predict anything, can they? <laughs> so let's, uh, but praise the Lord. We're going to have a great time here today. We're going to. Launch right in. Uh, I love good stories. I'm sorry. Granddad had a bragging moment. Go ahead, Granddad. Thank you for reminding me. Way to go. Olivia, Olivia. Way to go. Awesome. Anytime you need to brag, we'll let you brag. That's good stuff. Like I said, I love good stories, don't you? Good stories stick to you. Uh, our boys growing up, Cindy started uh, making them memorize scripture because they could, boy, I mean, they could quote lines from movies, just booms like that. And she'd say, okay, you need to memorize scripture as well as you know those movies. And uh, some of that eh, works sometimes, but boy, they remember those movies even to this day. I can't remember my name from yesterday, so I'm, I'm struggling. I can't remember any of the major exports from Brazil. I can't remember the periodic symbol for mercury. I can't remember the rate of gravity. But there's some storylines I remember. And in books especially, maybe uh, when you were a kid growing up, you remembered how uh, Charlotte made Wilbur an overnight sensation. How Charles Ingalls built the little house on the prairie. The great adventures of Frank and Joe Hardy. And Sam's neighbor finally tried and liked green eggs and ham. When you close your eyes and you listen to phrases from books or movies, your mind is quickly drawn back there, isn't it? Because that's what movies do and the pictures stay with you. Today... Our story, literally the story of everything that we've been talking about this month. And a lot of us have uh, struggled and are struggling with really understanding the story. As we unfolded the story, the hero is Jesus. Who was the villain of our story, by the way? Sin, that's right. And then the hero is Jesus. And Jesus uh, twists the plot a bit when He says... I'm leaving, but I've got a future for you. And He sends the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit comes and promises to stay with us and dwells in us, as a matter of fact. And He changes our identity, our thinking, and empowers us to participate in this mission that Jesus came to restore what was good. And today I want us to look at the last part of this story. Sin's the villain, Jesus the hero, the Spirit is the one that helps us become what we want to talk about today, and that's the church. When you think of the word church, there's probably lots of things that come to your mind. I've got a video clip I want you to see, and let's see what you think. feelings toward or any positive or ill feelings towards any religion not a huge fan of church i just uh i'm not i'm not a fan of having people tell me how to live my life so that's that's really but a lot of people do i mean i think it's like 90 percent of the world likes going to church and does that so if it's up to them i mean if they want to do it by all means um i think i think the church is uh a temple for um studying about uh Studying, you know, studying our God and try to um, get closer, get closer, and uh, learn more about God and um, surrounding people around you and learn from each other um, in a um, um, in a sanctuary place, in a sacred place, um, basically a temple for studying to get closer to God, you know. Could you? Um, I think most Christian churches out here are hypocritical, but as long as they're saying the word of God, then it's okay. Yeah, I love the Lord, and uh, yeah, the churches are good. We're the church, and we're good. Henry Wilson. Remember, my best sign is Carrie throws like a girl. You got to remember that one. All right. Okay, what I think about the church? Uh, the church, uh, from a Christian perspective. It's a institution from uh, from God, from from Jesus Christ. And um, okay, it's ruled by human beings, but it's coming from God. So yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty cool place, I guess. Yeah, where I go. Place to go to keep you uh, um, steady in faith and uh, give give you communication with God. And uh, study fellowship with your. It's a powerful place to worship and prayer. Um, I prefer a, a more liberal approach to religion or beliefs than organized religion. Pretty interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of different ways that people see church, and uh, you know, I want today to give you some pictures of what the Bible says the church looks like. Because it's really important that we see these pictures. And uh, they're beautiful pictures, and they really help us in telling this story, the story of everything. And I want to start by looking at 1 Corinthians. And uh, it's, it's a great letter written by Paul to a young church in the city of Corinth. The city had amassed an amazing amount of wealth, and yet they had some serious societal problems. This young church in Corinth had plenty of problems as well, and many of uh, which were focused and situated around the same problems the city was facing. They had a tendency to focus in on 
insignificant things, fight about stupid stuff that really didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Kind of sounds like today sometimes, doesn't it? So the Apostle Paul sends them this letter. And it's a wake-up call. It's a reality call that God meant for them to hear. And we pick it up in uh, verse 16. Don't you know that yourselves, you yourselves, are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And what that really means is you don't mess with God because he has a certain... uh, part of the church and the way the church should go and needs to go, and he doesn't want us messing it up. And he goes on to say, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So let me give you the first picture that we see of the church in the New Testament, and it's that the church is God's holy temple. So whenever we refer to that building, or this building, or any other man-made building as the church... We're just speaking a little bit in the wrong way. When you think the church is this brick and mortar, we misspeak. We are a temple. It's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Not made with human hands, but made by God. In Acts 17, 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And you know why? Because He lives in us. He lives in you. And He flows through us and He flows through you. And when you drive down North Elm Street and you see this building sitting here and if you think that's the church, you're mistaken. Because inside this building, we are the church. We are the church. And isn't it interesting in in this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul starts out by saying, don't you know that you yourselves? It kind of seems redundant that he would say it that way. But what he's trying to, and, and oftentimes we will assume that when something's said in the Bible, it may not apply to us. But Paul is very clear here. He wants you to know that you <laughs> yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the temple of God. So he wants to make it very emphatic to us. That we're all God's temple and the Spirit lives in us, not just in some building. Someone asked a preacher one time, if uh, we didn't have a building, how would people know we had a church? Well, in Acts chapter 4 is a great description of the early church and why they didn't need a building. Listen to what it says. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now that's church. That's church. When a need arises... The church responds, and you do that time and time and time again. As I've brought needs before you, boom, you will meet that need. You will reach down deep in your pocket and you'll bring out money or you will bring resources or you'll do whatever it takes because that's just the kind of church you are. And that's why I love being your pastor. is because I can brag about you unequivocally anywhere, anytime. <clears throat> when people need something, they... I'm telling you, these bigger churches are sending them to us. 
And I still don't get that. Their budgets are nine times our budget. But maybe their heart isn't nine times as big as yours. We're a church with a heart in the heart of Jinx. Amen. And we're going to keep being that way. The church isn't some building. It's not a cathedral or a temple because we are the temple of God. And think about how revolutionary that is in the context of this story, especially from the viewpoint of a Jewish or religious person hearing those thoughts in that day. If you've known to be true all of your life, if you've known something to be true all of your life, that God dwelt in a place that was made by human hands, the temple where your worship and sacrifice was to be done. And Paul's now saying you don't do that anymore. Jesus came. The presence of God was no longer concentrated in a building or the temple, but a person walking the earth and bringing life wherever he went. Boy, that was tough for them to grasp, wasn't it? It's tough for some people today in 2010 to grasp the same thing. But I hope when you leave here today, you've got it in your heart. And He promised, Jesus promised His presence would never leave us, and that when the Holy Spirit would come and and He would reside in us, God continues to move closer and closer and closer to His people. He's moved out of the building. He's moved into Jesus. And Jesus then brought life to us. And then when He left, He left the Spirit to guarantee it. Let me give you another picture. John 10. The church is God's flock. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. And in verse 14 of John 10, He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The Lord is our shepherd. The kids quoted it great this morning, didn't they? The Lord is our shepherd because sheep are stupid. You ever watch them? They will wander around. They'll starve to death because they don't have any idea where they're supposed to be going. They'll walk over a cliff because they don't know. They'll get separated and the wolves will be waiting, licking their chops. I'm ready to get them. Because that's what sheep do. They need a shepherd. Why does God use the imagery of we, the church, being like them? Well, I'm not stupid, preacher. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So you've got all of your... Uh, devotional life together. You got all of your Bible memory uh, action happening on a daily basis. I mean, you've got your witnessing tools going and you're leading people to Christ. Awesome. Awesome. You never miss church because you know that's the appointed place you need to be because you need to be a witness. Yeah, you're bringing friends with you. I, I know. Praise God. Have I hit home yet? Well, I don't, I can't get up at 9.30 to come to Sunday school. Now, come on now. Sunday's my only day I can rest. I am barely make it by 10.30 because you change the time from 11 to 10.30, 30 minutes. It's rough. Have I hit home yet? Oh, I know, I know. You've got it together. You're not like other sheep. Let me tell you why this picture is beautiful in two ways. And here's one. 
we're probably most familiar with, and, and, and that is, uh, no, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me, let me back up here. Let me give you another picture, two more pictures. The second one is that the church is the body of Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. It says, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. So see, some people are hands, some people are eyes, some people are ears, some people are feet. And we've got to have all of us working together to make it work right. Now, as I've gotten older... And not taking care of myself. Wasn't it Yogi Berra that said, if I knew I'd lived this long, I'd have taken better care of myself? The older I get, the doctor told me when you hit 40, it's going to start to turn. 50, 60, every 10 years it's going to get worse. I thought, man, I'm just feeling really good about old age right now. And when I was younger in 20s and 30s, I used to laugh at old people. Man, I cry every day for every tear, every, every time I laughed at them. I can't hear well, as you can see. It's hard to see. I've got I've got too many lines on this piece of glass in my face. I can't I can't get focused on which one I'm supposed to look through. Any of you struggling with that? One? <laughs> I've got hair growing out of my ear. What is that all about? Right? That's why I can't hear. I led myself into that one all right, didn't I? Praise God. My wife calls it selective hearing, so I may have some of that going on. I'm sure I do. But if the body is going to be healthy, everything needs to work together. You know, my ears, my eyes, my mouth, my feet, everything's got to work together. Take a handful of pills for most of us to make that body work somewhat right. It's the same thing in the church. If all the hands and the ears and the eyes and the feet aren't working together, the church doesn't work very well. The church doesn't work very well. Ephesians 4.16 says, From Him who is the head, that is Christ, from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And when we're like that, it's a powerful force. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. We read the verse earlier in Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He didn't build it on Peter. He built it on the statement, the rock of the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what He's building the church on. Peter was just an instrument, a tool, just like you and I are. It's a powerful force. And the word hell here is not that place where Satan resides, but it's that place designated as death. Christ didn't send His Spirit, His presence to the church to form a non-profit organization that holds religious services and does some good in this world. He sent His Spirit to us so that through His Spirit we can bring life to a spiritually dead world. Another picture. The church is the bride of Christ. And the Bible tells us the gift of the Holy Spirit is that engagement ring. Isn't that an awesome thought? That's the engagement ring to the new bride. Now, it is bad news when the guy gets on his knee and he opens up the little box to hand her the ring and she looks at him and goes, no. That's not good. 
Usually guys, when that happens, guys get up and go, eh, I kind of figured it's going to be that way anyway. You know, they try to look real tough, right? Oh, yeah, well, that's all. I didn't, uh, you're, you're yesterday's news anyway. Well, they walk off just heartbroken. Heartbroken. Because, man, that's just not good. That's no good. Jesus is on His knees holding up a case to you and to me with a ring in it and saying, will you take it, church? And so many go, nah, I don't want the commitment. I don't want the commitment. Revelation speaks of a great wedding feast that's going to occur as eternity begins. Ephesians 5.22 says, Earthly husbands are to love their wives just as Christ Jesus loved His church, the bride. And that earthly wives are to submit to the, and respect their husbands just as the church is to submit to and respect Christ. And then down in verse 26, he goes on to say, The Lord is working to make His church holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So today as the Lord speaks to us through His Word, His desire is to prepare us to be that radiant, pure, holy bride, to get us ready for that great wedding feast. There is nothing more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. My wife watches this show called Bridezilla. Trust me, my friend. Most of those women give me a break. Their fiancé should walk over with a two-by-four and beat the tar out of them. I mean, those, come on. One of them put on her white dress. I look like a fat marshmallow. I said, well, you are a marshmallow. You know, come on. Well, I've got to have this cake, even though it's $15 million. I've got to have this cake. You know what I'm saying? That's nuts. Cindy's dad never offered me extra money to not marry her in a church and have a big wedding. Had he done it, I'd have taken it! But we had a very nice wedding, paid for it ourselves. It was wonderful. Great memories. And my fondest memory is when she's throwing the bouquet and the, the bridesmaids have their uh, catcher's mist on <laughs> to catch it. That was awesome. Great picture. She never looked more beautiful that day. I remember it as it was yesterday. Because, see, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's what it's about. And as I've watched my two of my sons marry their wives, on those, when Jeff got married, Corey got married, I'm supposed to lead a prayer here for this service. And I can't pray. Because I'm crying. I was doing great until Megan turned the corner and he started crying. We were doing great. But when she turned the corner, man, old little buddy lost it, man. Old tough guy he is. He just... (laughs) And I made the fatal mistake of looking at him. Because I went too. It's hard when the preacher can't keep going. Oh, but that's, you see, that's the, that's the joy of it, isn't it? And when we come to the Lord, a celebration breaks out. A celebration breaks out. It's one of the greatest pictures that there is. And the Lord speaks to us through His Word. His desire in preparing us is awesome. I want to give you one more picture. 
over in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. You gotta see this. It's in chapter 47, so kind of turn over there as I'm giving you a little preliminary, uh, information here. A couple of things that you need to know. First, in this chapter, it has to do, importantly, where this takes place. It's a body of water where some say is the deadest place on the earth. It's a body of water that is opposite of life. It's the lowest place on the earth, 1,378 feet below sea level. He thought New Orleans was a bowl. <laughs> this place is a bowl. It is known as the deadest place on earth because the water in it's, it is incredibly salty. Ten times higher saline content than what's in the ocean. So salty that no living marine animal can be found in it. And if you go in it, as long as you stay face up, you cannot drown. If you go in and stand waist deep, your feet begin to float back up to the top. Anybody know what the name of that place is? Dead Sea. Dead Sea. Brilliant name, isn't it? Brilliant name for the deadest place on earth. Second thing I want you to know before we read this passage is in, in the days before Jesus, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were chosen to represent who He was to the world before Jesus came to earth to prepare the story of Jesus. And one of these Israelites, in particular, this guy named Ezekiel, prophet of God, had this vision. We're in chapter 47. We pick up at verse 1. I'm in the New Living Translation. Maybe a little different, but stay with me. In my vision, the man, like an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. Then I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gate. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water went up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river. Notice it doesn't say a stream. It says the river was too deep to walk across. It was, too, it was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching Son of Man? And then he led me back along the riverbank. And when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this river will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will, no, will be for food and the leaves for healing. Is Ezekiel gets this vision and what starts as a stream flowing from the temple flows and gets bigger and stronger and deeper and it brings life to everything it touches, even to the deadest place on the earth. But what does that have to do with us, the church? 
Well, let's start with that temple in the vision. Remember that the temple was not just a building. It was a place of the concentrated presence of God in the center of His people and country. But this vision had to be strange to Ezekiel because this stream went from the temple outward. And he was taught to think the temple was all about what went on inside because of where God was in that Holy of Holies. He had to be thinking, why flow into the Dead Sea, that old death-dominated, nasty place? Smells, you know how raw eggs smell? Increase it ten times, and that's the smell of the Dead Sea. Stood beside it, I know because I've smelled it myself. It is nasty. Nasty. They, they tell you when you get in it, don't let it get in your mouth, don't let it get in any your nose, your eyes, don't do it. They say, if you get it in your mouth, it'll kill you. I'm like, wow, and you want me just to jump in there? You bad. <laughs> Can't wait. You see, what this stream had become, a river, and it flows into the Dead Sea, it, what it does is that it changes and transforms deadness, even the deadest place on the earth. Before there was deadness, now there's a river flowing from the presence of God that brings life. Are you beginning to see the connect with us, the church? In Ezekiel's vision, he foreshadows, he prophesies what the church would be, and it's, it's our final picture today in this great story. It's the picture of a church is a river of life. Remember the old song we used to sing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. Yeah, that's old camp stuff, right? Yeah, carry this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta have the arm motions. You can't do it. You can't just sing the song, right? Because the whole thought is, I got a river of life. What? Flowing out of me. Woo! And that's the picture. A river of life flows from God and brings life to deadness. Life is supposed to be flowing from the church to the darkest and the deadest places on the earth. You can say all you want about how worthless America is. You can say all you want about that. I appreciate what Don had to say right at the communion and offering time because I'll guarantee you when something happens, we're the first on the scene. We bring, I mean, they've got planes waiting to go, take supplies to Haiti. Nobody can get in because it's total chaos. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus returns? Can you imagine? The total chaos. You better be on the side of the Lord, man. You better be on the side of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. If we were to ask people on the street what the church is, and we listened to the video, they'd probably say it's a place where Christians go to worship or to go to Mass. Because people still see the building as the church. There are certain places we go to get what we want, and a church is where we go to get religion. Last few days I've gone into the grocery store only to find out a combat zone's in there. Women fighting over bread, soda pop, last bag of chicken breasts. Because they're out. And it's mine, brother. It's mine. I'm telling you, don't mess with me women when they're shopping. I step back, let them have it. Glory to God. 
Go get a pack of weenies. Maybe there's some over there. I don't know. Boy. <laughs> yeah. The church should be a river of life that flows from God and brings life to deadness. John 7.38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within Him. We believe as a church, that's what we're called to do, to bring life into deadness. And who knows how many churches down through the ages have gotten it all wrong, but I'm telling you, we at River Oaks, we're doing our best to get it right. As we close, and the worship team comes to help me finish up here, I want to speak just directly to my brothers and sisters here at River Oaks. When you give yourself in any way, you're not just doing good. You're bringing life. When you fix communion on Sunday, when you stand at the door and greet and hand out bulletins, when you rotate through the teaching rotation, when you mentor kids, when you pray for these kids, when you, when you uh, send out letters in the name of the Lord, when you send out anniversary and birthday cards, when you make phone calls and encourage, when you bring food for funerals or bring food for hospital folks, when you bring food to help uh, here at fellowships, here at the church, when you're doing that, you're not just doing stuff. You're bringing life. You're bringing life into deadness. And you're assisting people from in divorce and addictions and abuse to learn what it means to be loved of God. Life is crushing death around us. And there's people who are so lonely they can't see beyond today. But as we begin and continue to reach out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... We're bringing life into them. We're bringing life into them. So when you give of yourselves, you're doing it for the Lord. Because see, we're not meant to be a building but a temple. We are a flock of the great shepherd. A member of the precious body of Christ. The precious bride of Christ. We are a river of life that flows from God and brings life to deadness And I absolutely love the church because that's why we're here. I know we're here because we had a lady come by who saw our sign out front said, Sex Files. She was about as mad as you could hope a person would be, wondering what are we going to teach here? What in the world are you bringing up in that church? I wasn't here. Tammy handled it extremely well. Invited her to come back and, and listen. If I'd have been here, I'd have said, well, we have some videos we're going to show, and maybe a little show and tell. So I was probably glad I wasn't here. I was talking with Brother Russell this week by text, and he said, Pastor, I don't know that sermon series. People are talking about it all over town. I hope so. We had somebody come by and take the word sex off the sign, just throw the letters out in the flower bed. Make sure your teenage kids are here for every sermon next month. And if they have to miss, make sure they listen to it. Because we've got to talk about this in the church, folks. The world's way ahead of us telling them what it's not. (laughs) We've got to tell them what it is. My wife's scared to death that I'm just going to go way off on a tangent somewhere, and I'm going to try my best to stay to my notes so I don't do that. Not that I have a tendency to do that, but. But I'm telling you, we live in a time when the church needs to be that river flowing 
Bringing life from the temple, from the very presence of God. And as you draw deeper and closer to God, guess what? That river's going to flow better. But the tragedy is, there's so many who come on Sunday, they, they go through the motions, they shake my hand, they smile real big, they greet you and hug and howdy, and they just tell you how great you are, and you never see them anymore. How tragic. Because there's still so much to be done. And my greatest desire, my greatest desire, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, just above water, is that you know God has a place for you in this river. And I hope that something inside you hungers and thirsts and longs to dive in and take your place in the story of everything, a part that is designed and written just for you. Father, I ask you this morning, as we get ready to sing a hymn of invitation, we're going to sing a song about surrender. God, ultimately, surrender is all we can do. Because if we don't surrender, then we can never be taken captive by Your Spirit. Too many of us still think we're in charge. Too many of us think that we can get it done. And Father, when You want us to lean on You, we lean on other stuff. Then we find out it's empty. Oh God, today would You move through Your people. God, today would You touch Your people. And God, would somebody dive in. Would somebody decide to go deeper and get out of the ankle deep water, get out of the knee deep water, get out of the waist deep water and get in just to where they're about to drown so that they could be a blessing to many. God, if there's somebody here today that needs to make a decision, would you give them the courage to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this great song. If God's moving, you'll respond to it. I'm giving you my heart.